parents of kids this age, you see they do worship with us and then they go and they go through this door. If you didn't sign them in when you came in, they're not signed in, which means some stranger could come up and be like, that's my kid. We'll go, okay, and they leave with your kid. So the point is, before you come in here, that's not gonna happen, by the way. But before you come in here, go sign your kids in. Even if they're third, fourth, or fifth grade, then bring them in here. They'll worship with us, then they go in, and you'll get this little tag. So uh, you go to get your kid, you give them the tag. If you don't have the tag, you don't get your kid. Um, safety, <laughs> that was my wife that laughed, wow. But actually, <laughs> safety's a big deal. Safety for our kids is a big deal, um, and things happen at churches. You, you wish they wouldn't, but they do. Um, and we want to protect our kids, so we're taking that pretty serious. Um, let me pray real quick. Father, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your son, most of all. Thank you, Jesus, for living and dying for us. Thank you that you see the depths of our heart, and you love us the same. And... Uh, you're not content with the sin in our lives and, and you will work to eradicate the sin in our lives, but you love us the same throughout the entire process. We thank you for that. Holy Spirit, be present with us. Um, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be engaged with you this morning, that we would glorify you, and that as we connect with you and you use your word to change our hearts and our minds, that then we would go into the world different that we would go out and we would be different moms and dads, different husbands and wives, different laborers and bosses, um, and that we would make a difference in this city for you and for your kingdom. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Google was asked, what are the top 10 phrases or questions that people ask Google? Any guesses what the top one is? Any guesses? What's the most Googled question? No. What's how to become a Canadian? <laughs> That's actually never been Googled. <laughs> no. Um, the most Googled question is what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And so I started looking into, I Googled it. And I started looking and, and, and seeing what are the answers out there. And the evolutionary idea, so really one of the, the prominent ideas of why we exist, what the meaning is, it is to, it's for DNA. And so because your DNA wants to continue going, our purpose is to survive and reproduce. Um, some of that is okay, I guess, but that's our whole purpose, just to, to live and then have children so they live. That's the purpose. Um, as I was reading through, I found a quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, for me, life is continuously being hungry. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. So for him, it's finding another hill to climb and climb it. Um, and he's somebody who is a great example who's done that. I mean, he's had a very successful life in those terms. A successful author was asked in his later years, if he could go back and tell himself one thing, what would he go back and tell himself? And he said, I would tell myself that when you pursue success and you actually get to the top, it's empty. And if you're familiar with Ravi Zacharias, he says that the loneliest place to be is when you finally achieve that which you believed would deliver the ultimate and it comes up empty. So what is the meaning of life? What are we made for? And a lot of you probably know the answer, but what is this? It's a wooden spoon. What's this made for? 
Spanking children, okay. <laughs> I knew you guys were raised like I was. No, <laughs> this is made for stirring things. But for some reason, it's been used as a spanking spoon throughout the decades and centuries and forever. It's not what it's made for, which is why they always break. I don't know if you've, raised your hand if you've had one of these broken on you. Okay, <laughs> that's proof. Katie, really? Wow, um, I'm learning things. Um, the reason these break is that's not what they're made for. Now, I know somebody here who was a teacher back in the day who actually used to paddle Paul, and what did you use at school? A real paddle. A real paddle. Probably had holes in it? Yeah. yeah, so that it can sweep through the air? Now that's made for a spanking. <laughs> the, the point is, things are made for a purpose, and those things should be used for that purpose. When they're used for a different purpose, they break, or they don't function properly. We're the same way. Do you realize that? You were made with a purpose. You were made with a purpose. And all of us have a different, maybe details of that purpose, but you have one purpose and that's what we're looking at today. Your one purpose is to love God. That's it. If somebody comes up to you and says, what's the meaning of life? Well, the meaning of my life, the meaning of life is to love God. That's it. Adam and Eve were created to be in relationship with God. They messed it up. And then guess what? I messed it up with my sin. But for eternity, we're going to be in relationship with God and one another, and it's going to be awesome. That's the meaning of life, to love God. And if you're living a life not loving God, you're like a wooden spoon being used for spanking. It's not going to work very well. Or it'll work sometimes, but eventually it's going to fail you. Our purpose is loving God. We're going to look at a, a couple verses this morning, and we're really going to hone in on one. But you are here on our second week of our All In series. This series, there it is, all in, we're looking at really five aspects of the Christian life to where you can measure, how am I doing spiritually? If ever if somebody comes up and says, how are you? Fine. Now, how are you really spiritually? Here's some ways that we can gauge what does spiritual maturity look like? And so we use the phrase all in, it's an acronym. Um, there it is, all in. Last week, we looked at plan A. A mature believer, a growing, faithful Jesus follower is someone who understands that they are the ones who carry the message of Jesus Christ to the world. We are plan A and there is no plan B. Jesus is the answer, but you are the carrier of the message of Jesus. The second one is love God. And that's what we're talking about today. Everything I do, I do for God. A growing Jesus follower understands that it all starts there. And we're gonna get to the rest of those over the next few weeks. But everything we do, we do for God based on a love for God. John 17, three says this. We quote this one often, and I think rightly so. And this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, this is eternal life. And he's actually praying. He's speaking to the father at this time, that they know you, the father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know is not just intellectual knowledge. Eternal life is knowing, which is an intimate relationship. It's actually the word that's used for intercourse at times. To know, somebody knows their spouse. It's intimate. We are to know God in a deep relationship. Does that include knowledge? Absolutely. You need good doctrine. <laughs> you need to understand the scriptures. You need to have a grasp, a little bit of the trinity of things like that. Getting to know God, absolutely. But this means an intimate relationship. Um, if you're a note taker, we have notes out there. Um, we never print out enough and that's okay. 
because we have our phones, you can download the app, uh, Common Ground Carson, and go and you can do notes on there if you're a note taker. Or if you're not a note taker and you're an image person, just watch whatever. Or if you're Amy and you miss a note, come up to me afterward and tell me to fill in what I forgot. Um, But here's in your notes, the first step in living out your purpose. Listen, the meaning of life, the first step in living out your purpose is get to know God. So if anybody tells me, what do I do now? Go get to know God. Whatever that looks like, it involves scripture, has to, but go get to know God. Go step out in faith. But that's the beginning. And get this, if you are going to pursue God, if you're going to seek him and actually try, here's what he says in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Nobody has ever actually sought God and failed. It's never happened. Anybody that truly wants to know God, God is quick to reveal himself to that person. And here's, here's our, our verse for the day. And we're really looking at one verse. You may be inside clapping. Yay, one verse. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus is speaking and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In Matthew, he had a lawyer come up to him. This is what right before this, right before he says this, a lawyer came up and was trying to trick Jesus. Jesus was popular and he was getting more popular. People were coming to hear him speak. He was kind of contentious at times with the Pharisees. He was fun to watch, really. Uh, He would pick fights with the Pharisees, but then he would show amazing grace and he would heal people. So people were coming, he was popular and they were trying to trick him by asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And the reason this is a trick is because all the rabbis, many rabbis, the, the spiritual leaders would have different opinions of what is the most important thing. And so you would go to one and say, well, the most important thing is obeying the Sabbath. Meaning on, on Saturday for them, the Sabbath, you don't work. You only walk 20 steps, all these things. They wanted to know what to do. That was the question. What religious act is the most important religious act? And we'll be sure that we do that faithfully. But one of our big things that, that we're all about at Common Ground, that the church is all about, not just Common Ground, the church, is it's not about what you do. It's about knowing Jesus. And what we do follows. But you're not right with God by any actions. You're right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. Then the result is actions. But they were asking, what, what do we need to do? And that's great. If you knew you just had four things you needed to do and one was the most important thing and you'd get to go to heaven and everything would be great, you would make sure to do them, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would. That's what they wanted. And so Jesus answers with a quote from Deuteronomy. He says, the greatest commandment is love God. How do you measure that? <laughs> Jesus was no fool. And he sums up all of the law. It sums up the Old Testament law. It also sums up what we would maybe call New Testament law. All the things we should do, it's summed up in this. Love God. Not religion. Love God. So what is the meaning of life? It is to love God. And it begins by seeking God to know him. Those of you who are married, do you remember when you first started dating Now, this is maybe going to get a little awkward. Remember when you were pursuing the other? I don't know who did the pursuit. Callie pursued me, but normally I think it goes the other way. But do you remember when you started that dating, what was your first date full of? Questions. Getting to know each other, trying to find out more about them. One of Callie and I's first dates, we went out, we started climbing trees. It was fun. (laughs) And I was getting to know Callie. I got to know something about Callie just by her Playfulness. We climbed a tree and then I think we talked theology in the tree. But so, so 
as you start to get to know somebody and you think you might fall in love with this person, there's a lot of questions. It's the same with God. If we're going to love God, we need to get to know him. Have you ever been in a restaurant and seen an older couple maybe that looks like they've been married a long time um, and they're just not saying anything? (laughs) You know, they're sitting there and I can't think of anything to say and you watch. Or you see those other ones where there's the old couple sitting there and maybe they're not saying as much, but they're engaging. They're still there. I think our Christian life can be somewhat that way. You start out excited and then it gets dull and then you just kind of go through the motions Whereas in reality, we need to continue to pursue God in knowledge. That's loving. To continue to pursue. Just like husbands, if you've been married more than a year, you need this reminder. Pursue your wife. (laughs) Keep getting to know her. What's her favorite food? What's her favorite dessert? Simple things, but getting to know. Pursuing. Now, as you get to know God, the natural response is that you'll love him. There's other natural responses. Fear awe, and respect. But loving is one that you, you simply can't get away from. And we're going to get more into this, but why do we love God? And I, I was going to get more into this, but I'm just going to read three verses. Why do we love God? God wants you to love above all else. Why? Why do we love God? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then later in that same chapter, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Jesus earned our love by first loving us and proving that love by giving his life for ours. That's where our love stems from. It's not something we muster up, you know, and and we have a temptation to make the Christianity pragmatic, you know, and when you're going and doing evangelism and sharing, you want to share why God is so much greater and he is, but, and what the benefits are in life. And they are there. They are great. We've talked about those previous years, but it all comes down to simply this. God loved you first and he sent his son. Let's watch this video and then we'll continue in Matthew. Imagine, you are the creator. The earth is your creation and you are its maker. Everything is yours. The planets, the stars, the fish in the sea, the grass in the yards, it all belongs to you. You own everything and there's no limit to your being. But your most prized creation isn't seen. You want to free them, but they don't want free. They think they know what's best, but they're actually depleting. Ignoring you is self-defeating. Yeah, you could get their attention. You could show up with thunder, appearing from the sky with great signs and wonders, crushing them with your power. But no, you choose love. Love to draw them near. Crazy, awesome love. Love instead of fear. See, they will soon die. But the gift that you give is eternal life. So after their death, they can live. They can live. 
But to give them that life, you give the greatest gift of all. Someone to be punished on behalf of their fall. Someone to take the blame, someone to take the shame, someone who brings freedom and breaks all their chains. You could give them yourself because your power is great, but your love is so deep you send your son in their place. Your one true son, the perfect one, only begotten, never forgotten, the greatest gift you could give. Any father would die for his son to live, but you, you are much different. See, your love is the beginning, your love is the finish. All sin will be diminished and people will be replenished. So you gave them your son, so their debt could be crushed. The greatest gift you could give and you did it with love. A love beyond the wildest dream that was ever dreamed up. Crazy love. Crazy love. Crazy awesome love. You know, I think one of the hardest things about my job as a pastor is getting people to realize and actually getting people to love God. And I can't do it. <laughs> you know, we want to fabricate, we want to create strategies to get people to love God, but it's impossible. All we can do, all I can do is show you through God's word who God is. Look at Jesus. And if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you and in you make you love, there's nothing else anybody can do about it. But the Holy Spirit will convict your heart, will show you as you get to know Jesus, you will fall deeper and deeper in love with him. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. That's the way it works. So in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, says, you shall love the Lord your God. Love, that word love, that's agape. Uh, if you've been in church very long, you've heard that. The word agape, it's God's kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's the love that does what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. And we're called to have that love for God. Now, he always deserves it. He's not a fallen man or woman like we are. He always deserves our love. But it's a choice. We think of love as a feeling. And, and there is feeling. In fact, the, I think the greater you get to know God, you will have that feeling. And some of us men, we don't like to show our feelings, but we feel it anyway. There is a feeling, but it doesn't start with a feeling. It starts really with a choice to believe about God and to respond. You know, I've noticed in my life a lot of times, here's how you know that you love God. You love what God loves. And as we mature, we start to love what God loves. And there's, it just happens all the time. I look at my life and I look at the things I love and don't love, and I go, my loves don't line up with your loves. Sometimes I don't love people the way God loves people. Or I'll find myself being critical or judgmental. And the only thing I can do is go to God. <laughs> That's the only thing I can do is spend time in the word and get to know him and ask him to change my heart. And when I do, he does it. It's kind of weird how it happens where I look at my life and I look at Jesus's life and I go, I don't line up here. I don't love what you love. And I can't fabricate that. I can't pretend like I love what he, I just can't. But I can go to prayer and say, God, I know you love this person. I don't love this person. Give me a love for this person, please. And the weird thing is he does. He does the work in me. I don't fabricate it. I go to him and he creates that. That's love. Love is a choice. Helps Word Studies says this word agape there, it means actively doing what the Lord prefers. That's love. Actively doing what the Lord prefers. 
This is our big verse, and we have these sticky notes in the back, and we bought a lot of them. <laughs> so take them with you, but they have Romans 12, 1 and 2 on them. Take them and use them, and every time you use them, look at that verse. But it talks about being a living sacrifice. Our response is to lay on the altar, basically, to be a living sacrifice. If you missed it a couple weeks ago, I had a frog up here as a living sacrifice, and it kept crawling off the altar. But that's what we do as a living sacrifice. We keep crawling off the altar, but that is love getting on the altar and staying on the altar and continuing to pursue. Here's the thrust of this verse. We're gonna dissect it a little bit, but here's the main point. Love God with all that you are. The thrust of this verse is that we are to love God with all that we are and with total abandon. Total abandon, not safe. Not safe. We are not called to be safe. Again, imagine you're dating the person that you think you're gonna marry. And maybe you were somebody who played it safe. But women, do you want a guy to pursue you and play it safe? Or do you want him to pursue you with total abandon? <laughs> God's the same way. He wants us to pursue him with total abandon. That's the point of this ver verse. The Christian life is not us working hard for God. The Christian life is Jesus living the life he lived then now through us. And that happens as we fall in love with him, as we get to know him. It's not duty not religion. So how do we love God with all that we are? Let's look at this. In Matthew, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where he starts, with all your heart. The heart, that's the inner self that includes the will. That's our volition to choose, our heart. It's the center of the person. Listen to this, the heart. It's the seat of your passions and desires. This is where it lines up in your heart to love God. When you see that your passions and desires don't line up with his, you ask him to change them and he will. That's how you love God with all your heart. What does the Old Testament say about your heart? It's deceitfully wicked <laughs> and desperately sick. But God can change that. He changes it. That's the new covenant. In Jeremiah, he says, I will take away your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. So he will change your desires. That's how we love him with our heart. It's a desire to love what God loves. That's not in there, but you should write that down. How do you love God with all your heart? It's a desire to love what God loves. And when you don't love what God loves, you pursue loving what God loves. The second one is your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The soul, this is your psyche, your distinct personality. Your soul, again, it's your mind, emotions, and will. Is there a distinct difference between your heart and your soul? No, there's not. There's not. And his point here isn't to teach distinct parts of the person. His point, I think it's intentionally overlapping. Love him with everything, with all that you are. Uh, the Greeks, during this time period, they were trichotomous. They thought that you were body, soul, and spirit. So the body is different from the soul. The soul is different from the spirit. There's three parts of you. Other traditions would say you're, there's only two. Soul and spirit are the same, and then there's the body. And that's actually a fun conversation to have because can God be present with sin? And if there's still sin in my spirit, but the Holy Spirit's in there, then there can't be sin in my spirit. So it's gotta be different. 
That's a wasted conversation. <laughs> I'm, ser- I'm serious. It's worth, I mean, thinking about. But guess what? I know my heart. There's still darkness in there. But I also know my heart. The Holy Spirit's in there and he's, cha- he's chasing out the darkness and he's changing me. The point is to love him with all that we are. And that's your, this is your soul. Body, I'm sorry, this is your soul. Your mind, your emotions, and your will. Look at that. Emotions is part of that. Sometimes we think our emotions are just what they are. I get emotional about this or that. When you see yourself get emotional, a lot of times that's, that's a sign of your flesh coming out, isn't it? Whether that's anger, um, whether that's stress or worry, those are emotions that come out that show a heart not loving God. And so your emotions can reveal some things and great, then you go to God and you love him, you give that to him and again, you ask him to change that. You don't work hard to change it, well you do, but it's, it's predicated on going to God and letting him change. Soul. Again, here's the thing about the heart and the soul. The first two. Are those actions? No. There's nothing physical about that. Physical results. But what he's going through first is he wants your inner being. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about giving. One of the hardest topics because our heart, Paul said this. He said, give and give generously. And here's why. It's a test of your love for God. That's what Paul said. He said, the way you give is a test of your love for God. God doesn't want our stuff. He wants our heart. He he wants what our stuff represents, our heart. And so that's what he's going for here. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then love God with all of your mind. This is your understanding and your intellect, your thoughts and imagination. This one should be convicting because we can be very intellectually lazy and uncreative. Uh, one of the aspects of the mind is creativity. Uh, if you guys might remember Austin, he's a, one of the pastors from our sending church in Vegas um, and he led worship and he wrote a book called The Radical Worship Solution, which our worship team is going through um, or has read. But it's really kind of cool because one of his big things, and Callie and I were at a conference down there going through this stuff. He said, the problem with church a lot of times is we get so used to just doing this. You know, you sing two songs and then you hear an hour-long sermon and then you sing two songs and you go home. Um, And everything's done the same way. He said, God was creative. Why can't we be creative and try and engage other aspects of who we are in worship. And so that's what we're trying to do. But guess what? It takes work. (laughs) It takes work to try and be creative. It's easy just to do the same thing. But that's lazy. That's intellectually lazy. And I don't think that's loving God with our mind. Here's the other aspect. It is your your intellect. If I asked you to, to lay out the gospel for me, what's the gospel message? Could you do it? Could you do it in a way that I would understand or that a non-believer would understand fairly brief and quick? You know, creation, God's love, fall, redemption, repentance, just the the basic, could you do that? If somebody came up to you espousing relativism, oh, you can believe what you believe, but I can believe what I believe. All is true, all roads lead to heaven. Could you have a, a wise conversation on that topic? Or would you go, you're weird. (laughs) but but I mean, seriously, loving God with all our mind means we try and understand so we can have these conversations because we are plan A. And if we can't have these conversations, we're not gonna be a good witness and not loving to God. Also, just understanding for ourselves. The more I get to know God and understand about him, the more I love him. Here's how one of the ways we wanna help you love God with your mind is we have books back here. We have The Case for Christ, 
the case for faith, um, the knowledge of the holy, mere Christianity, they're, they're, the case for Christ, none of them are real basic. I mean, I mean, you can understand it, but it'll take work. So, mere Christianity, you might have to read a paragraph a couple times, but it's okay to engage our minds. A professor at Biola, where we went to school, um, wrote a book called uh, Love, Love God with All Your Mind. And the whole book was just about how we can intellectually engage uh, with God, how we can actually study and try and read, try and get better intellectually. Here's the other big question. There's a science teacher in here. Can you discuss evolution? <laughs> and you don't have to be a scientist, but can you understand some of the basic things? I mean, really, that conversation, you take it to one point and it's over. Every cause has an effect. Let's just trace that back. What was the first cause? Well, the first effect was the Big Bang. What caused it? Nothing. Science would tell you that's impossible. But, but I mean, study these things so that we can have these conversations. Love God with all your mind. Now, in the Old Testament, which Jesus is quoting from, he didn't include the same categories. He said, love your God with all your, oh shoot, <laughs> uh, heart, mind, and strength. He combined heart and soul. The Old Testament combines heart and soul. In the New Testament and elsewhere where this is shared, I think it's in, in Luke, he adds strength back in. So then there's four. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so that's in there. Love God with your strength. This refers to your energy and ability. Do you love God with your strength, your energy, and your ability? It includes your talents. It includes your time. Again, this will be convicting to those of us who have a tendency to be lazy. When I was in college, I had roommates who could play Legend of Zelda for 10 hours straight. I don't know how that's possible. Some of you are laughing because you've done that or you know people. <laughs> but video games can be addicting. And, and I've known people that can play those for days on end. And I've known people who have fallen in love with Jesus and gotten to know him. And they said, I have to get rid of video games. Because I start playing and pretty soon four hours is gone. And these are people who love those things. I mean, it's, it's an okay hobby to have. Video games aren't bad in and of themselves. But the way you love God is with your strength as well. When you come home from work, what do you do? Do you just plop on the couch? I'm not saying that's bad. But are you done? Do you, do you expend all your energy working or doing whatever it is and then your family has none left? You have none to actually serve God? Where does your energy go? Where does your energy go? Love the Lord your God with all your strength. What's the big point of this verse? <laughs> is it to understand every little aspect no, I don't think so. The main thrust of this verse is love God with all that you are. All that you are. I was thinking about this because of course this is always on my mind as I'm preparing and I try and prepare weeks in advance so that God can change me uh, so I'm not preaching something that I don't do. And yesterday I'm walking into Home Depot and I'm just walking in going, love your God with all that you are. That means I have to love him right now. And I get in project mode. I get in mode where I'm getting something done. Uh, maybe you're like that. And I, we're working on the bathroom and I'm doing plumbing and I'm not good. So I'm thinking about that. So, okay, I need this, this, and this. And I can do that, but at the same time recognize I'm walking in here and my first job is to love God while I'm in here. Which means even just smiling at the guy walking in. Whatever it is. And if there's a conversation or just being available. And that happens. When I have that mindset, inevitably whenever I go in and I'm not just project oriented, I'll have a conversation with somebody. Because people are around and you just say hi or whatever and bring it, and then you just start talking. But it's loving God with all that you are 
all the time, not compartmentalized, not on Sunday from 10 to 11, 15. Not just in the morning when you decide to do your devotion for five minutes. All the time, all the time. And this leads to everything I do, I do for God. Everything I do. Paul wrote that in everything you do, do it as if working for the Lord, not for men. In everything you do, do it for God. That's how you love God. Here's, here's the application I want to make with this. And then we're going we're gonna to move on. Um, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But if you love someone, you're going to spend time with that person. Can you say that you love someone and you never talk to them? You never listen to them? And if you've been coming here long, you may be like, yeah, I'm sick of hearing this. But we're never going to stop talking about it. The most important thing you can do in your life is spend time loving God. Let me tell you, my favorite time ever is when I have no agenda and it's me and God. That's my favorite time. Uh, sometimes it's, I'll go for a walk or I'm walking in the desert or I'll go out to a, a, a room where it's quiet and I'll have my Bible, but no agenda. You know, I do have a reading plan. I think that's helpful. You know, a reading plan and, and uh, version Bible app has several of those. That's really kind of cool. Uh, and it gives you something to go with, but no agenda, meaning I'm not going to study so that I can teach on it. I mean, that, see, that's my world. And then it, it becomes business. No agenda, no going to God because I get something else. But just going to God and just being with, have you ever done that? Just gone for a walk and just gone, God, that mountain's beautiful. You made that. You made that. And I'm enjoying that right now. Asking him questions. That's loving God. Just, just spending time. It takes time. It takes time. And we're so busy. And here's me. I, I am... I want to accomplish things. And so if something doesn't, if I can't see what it's going to accomplish, I don't want to waste my time doing it. This is one of those, it's kind of hard. <laughs> what do you accomplish? You accomplish your main purpose in life, loving God. And it's worth it. It's worth every second of it. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is when we remember what Jesus did for us. Now, um, if I could, one, two, three, four. If I could have four volunteers come up to help hand out these elements. Um, it can be man, woman, child, doesn't matter. Somebody who's not gonna trip and spill, so not you. Um, <laughs> um, this is what we do as a body to remember what Jesus did for us. Love the Lord your God. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, I'm gonna read it from Luke. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, this is what happened. And as they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take this, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. We take this in remembrance of what Jesus did until he comes back. Now, here's, here's what you need to know about the Lord's Supper. If you are not a Christian, don't take it. If you do not believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose for again, and you've placed your faith in him as Lord, do not take it. And there's no shame in that, no big deal. If, if you have sin in your life that you've chosen not to deal with, don't take it. The Bible actually shares examples of people who are sick or have died because of that. They're taking the Lord's Supper, pretending like everything is good, and they're fine with having an affair or whatever it is. 
And so make a conscious decision right now to deal with that sin. And here's another reason that you don't take the Lord's Supper. If there's disunity, if you have a problem with a fellow believer, or if they have a problem with you, you need to go make that right before you take the Lord's Supper because relationships are that important to him. So that's the Lord's Supper. That's why we're taking it. Um, Let's sing this song and then we'll take it together at the end of the song. That you, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. Pray loud.
sending your son to die for us when we were not worthy, when we had no hope. You loved us and gave your son for us. Thank you, Father. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus and thank him as we take this together, the bread and the cup. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. (laughs) We cannot have life without you. And life with you is joy and peace. Doesn't mean things are always perfect. But we have peace and joy because we know we can trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want to do. When you sat down, there was a piece of paper on your seat. Pull out that blank white piece of paper or use the back of your notes, whatever. Um, pull that out. And I want you to put it on your calendar. When is going to be your time this week with God? I'm not asking for a super long commitment, but if you do it for a little bit, guess what? You'll get hooked on time with Jesus. But if it's not on your calendar, it's not going to happen. If you're anything like me, (laughs) if it's not on your calendar, it's not going to happen. Write down the day. Write down the time. If it's every day, great. Just write down the time. Write down the place. You writing this down, you're going to keep this. This isn't for me. This isn't for anybody else. This is for you. Put it in your Bible. Put it where you're going to put it in your wallet. This is you making a commitment to yourself. When are you going to spend time with God? When are you going to spend time with God? And then when you do, pursue him. Again, there's several ways, but, but have a plan. Uh, We have devotionals in the back. They're free. They're really good. Um, Many of us have been doing them already, uh, but grab one of those. Use that. Version Bible app. If you haven't downloaded it, just look for Bible and download that. And there's plans. Uh, right now I'm using one. It's read through the Bible in a year. And so that's one of the things that I do each day is I read through those. It's actually quite a few. Um, so it takes a little bit of commitment, but you don't need to try and read through the Bible in a year, but have a plan. What, what are you going to do when you meet with God? And then meet with him, expecting him to show up, expecting him to want to connect with you because he does. That's what he wants most from you, you to love him. Not any actions, not even going to church, none of that. He wants you to love him. That's our most important thing. I just wanted to remind you guys uh, before we we sing a couple more songs that table talk um, that they'll give you in Sunday school for you to do with your kids. If you're a parent, do that. Do that. Because that's a way that we can love others God, through our parenting and discipling of our kids. So take that and do that. Uh, let's, let's worship. Let's stand. And also, please feel comfortable. If you don't want to stand or if you're tired, please feel free to sit down. Be comfortable in that. So, <laughs> not you, Roy. <laughs>